Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I'm joined by a whole bunch of Army guys. Thanks for coming out today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Today we have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Morley, First Sergeant Ziller, and Matt, Sergeant First Class Vincent, uh, from the local recruiting battalion. And we wanted to do a Army podcast. Uh, Matt's been hitting me up. Sergeant First Class Vincent has been hitting me up about um, doing an Army podcast and kind of talking about uh, the relevant situation going on with the army recruiting challenges. And, you know, let's talk about, you know, kind of my experiences as well on transferring or transmitting, transmitting, transferring from the military, transitioning into civilian life and how that's kind of affected my life overall. We talk about a lot, Matt, and, uh, I'm very interested to hear the army's perspective on it. Uh, the last time I was sitting with a Lieutenant Colonel was probably three years ago in Niger, Africa, when I was going a, a, a J set uh, for 19th Special Forces Group, but I appreciate you guys coming out. Thanks, for, thanks for being here. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having us. Hey, so well, you know, we'll start it off. Uh, and the voice you just heard was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Morley's voice, and uh, we'll just call him Colonel Morley for the uh, podcast. Keep it short. Uh, but we want to talk about some of the challenges that you guys face because, as a recruiting command, as recruiting command, um, you guys are are tasked with recruiting. America's best into the ranks of our military. And so uh, a lot of people don't know how the military works in the first place. Some of our listeners have no affiliation with the military at all. So let's start with the education process. Uh, let's start off by by talking a little bit about yourselves because you guys have some uh, extensive backgrounds. I'm sitting across from uh, uh, the colonel here, and he's a former Green Beret or always a Green Beret, uh, but he was a, a special forces uh team leader and officer in the ranks of uh, uh, the battalions and, and group, first group, and then I believe seventh group as well, right, sir? Yep. Uh, so let just give a little background on yourself, and then uh, we'll get talking about recruiting uh, commands challenges. Cool. All right. Uh, so again, Scott Morley. Uh, I'm an Army Lieutenant Colonel now, which means I'm old. Uh, started off, um, my whole Army story started with a recruiting letter to play football at Army. No inkling going into the military whatsoever, knew nothing about it. And after going through the application process, turns out the only way I was going to pay for college was going in the Army one way or another. Nice. Uh, either going through an ROTC scholarship uh, at a civilian school or going to, going to West Point and have a shot to play ball. Um, and so I, I took the shot, and 22 years later, here I am. Uh, been, I graduated as an armor officer, uh, did a couple years on uh, Bradley's and running, running supplies as a support, to, support platoon leader. Uh, in Al Anbar province of Iraq, uh, shortly after the invasion, um, went went and tried out for special forces in uh, 2005. Graduated in 06, uh, was a team leader. Went back to Iraq, um, had the opportunity to be a general's aide for a while. Uh, have an Ivy League master's degree, paid for by the army. Uh, ended up building a special forces battalion, deploying it to Afghanistan. Uh, and then spent the past four years working in the U.S. embassies down in El Salvador and Colombia. It was, I've, I've had a cool ride, and now I get to now I get to be on the recruiting side of fill, tell my story, and fill the ranks with more like us. Awesome! And you've been in for how many years? Uh, Eighteen now, and then act, in active duty. That's awesome! Awesome! And then uh, first Sergeant Ziller, give us your background. Everybody knows Matt's background. We're going to talk about him. But let's talk about your background a little bit. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I was a small town kid from Pennsylvania, and. Uh, like every other Pennsylvania kid, aspired to go to Penn State. I went to a branch campus, played some college baseball. And, uh, you know, we invaded Iraq. I was at a party one night, and CNN was on for unknowingly reasons why. And I figured it was my generation's war. 
Walked into the recruiting office two weeks later, dropped out of school, and joined the Army. Uh, I had a really good Army story, so a lot of people, you know, don't get to travel as much as I did. I've, I've seemed to change my duty station every two years. Started in Korea, went to Germany, deployed to the Middle East, and then became a, became a recruiter. And I've been all over the Northeast from the East Coast to the West Coast, putting young men and women into the Army. Um, it's been a good ride. I've been in for 15 years, a couple of years shorter than the colonel here, but uh, I made first sergeant in 14 years. So that education really paid off prior to coming in. And awesome. I, I finished my bachelor's degree while I was in, uh, all for free. The Army paid for that with my tuition assistance, and I did. I'm currently working on my master's degree, all pretty much free. That's that's awesome. I, a lot of people don't um, know this about the military, and you know, we were just talking about it offline, sir, and um, a lot of people don't understand how modern and how educated our military service members are. I mean, I got my bachelor's degree. It took me 15 years to get it. Uh, nickel and diming it between operations and deployments and training and everything else, um, but there's a there's a high frequency of enlisted and the obviously the officer side of the house that's getting continuing education and that's going to school uh, in our ranks. That's correct, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're I mean, total uh, to include ROTC scholarships, medical uh, scholarships. Army's spending about three hundred twenty million dollars a year to make sure that our nation's youth is educated. Uh, the vast majority of our enlisted force these days uh, is either pursuing or already has our bachelor's degree. This is not the 1982 Army yeah. um, that most people think it still exists. Yeah, it's that be-all-you-could-be Army. When I joined in uh, 97 and you know, just being in the military, working my way from E1 to E9, uh, I was afforded a whole bunch of opportunities. And a lot of people understand the amount of opportunities where you could actually be whatever you wanted to be and go a lot of directions. And you can't really do that in other branches of service. Uh, typically, uh, most branches, the Navy, the Marines, once you go into a certain position, you're, you're stuck there. You're, you're there for life. But in the military, what I like about it is you guys can navigate all over the place. I mean, you, all of your backgrounds, specifically talking about recruitment, are all uh, you know a vast myriad of backgrounds. Special operations, the infantry, just all over the place. And then your task and... Um, you know, your, your job now is to bring young men and women into the armed forces. Um, and is that is that a challenge nowadays? Is, it seems like uh, more so than ever before in history, uh, there's a there's a call, there's a need is what I'm hearing. Uh, is it is it a challenge? It's a challenge. It, it, I mean, we're, we're doing a great job, uh, you know, thanks to opportunities like this, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of telling our, our message. So, uh, we're growing. So the army's moving is moving from a 468,000 man army to a 500,000 man army, uh, in order to meet tomorrow's challenges. Um, couple that with 1% of America's youth join, um, couple that with one per one way, 1%. So that's, that's the statistic is 1% of America's youth. I'm assuming there's an age bracket there. But only one percent joined the military. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, currently, it's about seventy-one percent of America's youth don't qualify. So we're working at less than you know thirty percent of America's youth just meet the bare minimum qualification standards uh, for military service whatsoever. Uh, about seventy-nine percent of the of that of that one percent who join uh, come from military background come from a family legacy. Yeah. So, which, uh, which just historically speaking, just to get a, a broad statistic, does everybody here in this room have military family or service in their, in their family? Yeah. My grandfather and my father served. 
Yep. And then yours. So I, I came in completely ignorant. Nope. Yep. None. Zero family experience. And Matt, I know Matt. Oh, yeah. I have family all over the military. Yeah. Sure. I do as well. My dad was in the, the Army. So, yeah. I mean, there you go right there. That's a, so, the majority of people who are in the military now, and I think the stat was 79%, Correct. Um, have a, a legacy or a history family-wide of uh, serving in the armed forces. And so now we're looking at 1% of America's youth serves. And then w- an interesting statistic is that a large amount of that, the, po- the U.S. population of younger men and women don't qualify. What are the reasons that they don't qualify? Yeah. So most of today's youth, what we're seeing is it's obesity, drugs, health problems, misconduct, and aptitude. So, you know, a lot of younger kids are getting introduced to the legal system at a much younger age prior to, you know, cops would call your mom, call your dad, hey, come pick you up, nothing ever go on paper. Now these kids are getting, are getting a record at 13 years old. And obesity, uh, you know, we do have a height and weight standard and 26% for those that are older than, older than 24. And then 17 to 21 is 21%, or excuse me, 22%. You know, with the youth growing, our standards are not changing. And these kids, you know, they got to find a way to, to stay somewhat fit while they're younger, trying to come into the army. Yeah, heart disease, obviously the leading cause of death in uh, in the United States and in the world, um, heart disease related issues. And then obviously we're one of the fattest nations on the planet. And then I, I was just doing a podcast Sad the reality. other day. Seventy uh, percent of all the food in your grocery store is just fake food. I mean, Doritos, uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people, is not a real food. And so I could see, obviously, it's an epidemic. It's a serious issue. And so what's interesting is 70% of, of uh, the youth that show up aren't, aren't qualified. And I, I think I asked you this offline, but there's no process to be able to get these men and women uh, qualified. The only thing we could do is offer them advice to get qualified, right? Because you're obviously identifying what's wrong or potentially wrong with whether it's their aptitude and they take an ASFAB um, or it's their height and weight because you've scaled them, um, and then they go away. Is there a statistic of people who are coming back to get, you know, trying to come in, or is it just seventy percent across the board are just never qualified or not qualified? Oh no, absolutely. Our, our recruiters are trained coach, counsel, mentor, uh, just like all the non-commissioned officers in the army. It's basic team leadership and squad leadership. So, unfortunately, though, the only thing that we can offer the youth is, is some sort of verbal counsel. You know, we could tell them ways to Im- increase their ASVAB score, their aptitude. You know, we can show them March to Success, which is the uh, website that the Army sponsors and is good for SATs, is good for the ASVAB. We cannot give them diet programs. We cannot give them workout programs. Uh, that's something that they're going to have to do on their own. It's a liability issue prior to them taking the physical you know, we can't control what happens, whether they're safe or they're not safe, and we cannot put our, our NCOs in any kind of liability or harm's way. Uh, that totally makes sense. I, I, I completely get that. And um, what what percentage – is there a breakdown, sir, of uh, percentages of combat arms that we need in that 32,000, you know, 168 to 200, or, or would you say – was this the number? It was four – 68 to 500,000 that we need to be in the next couple of years. And then uh, what's the, what percentage of that population that we have to increase the numbers by is combat arms or is, is there a number there? That's a good question. I actually don't know that offhand that, that, that exact breakdown. Um, but as an army, I mean, I think we're always trying to, and as 
Department of Defense, we're always trying to decrease the the tooth to tail ratio, right? So the the more the more you know soldiers we have in a fight, as opposed to the, the logistic chain behind it in order to support it, we're always trying to shorten that. Yeah, I always remember reading the statistic of uh, I think it was like one to four. So it's like for every combat arms MOS, they needed three to four support guys per to be able to support that mission and to support those uh, individual soldiers to, to to complete their mission. And so, you know, there's obviously a whole bunch of things going on. I know uh, I saw the president in Iraq. He did a surprise visit, which was which is awesome. He did a surprise visit in Iraq. I think he left midnight from Washington, D.C. on Air Force One, got there, surprised everybody on Christmas Day, and then um, um, was talking to the troops about the withdrawals from uh, Syria and, and how he had committed – to the American public that he was going to pull everybody out and that, you know, the military responded and said, hey, we need an extension. And then he gave him the extension and then he said, hey, we, we only have six months. We only need six more months. And he's like, absolutely not. We're pulling him out. And obviously it's a political thing and there's points of contention there. Uh, but the bottom line is we are spread really thin based on the operational capacity that's needed across the world, across the globe. Uh, we were talking about it before about Africa and all these other uh, continents that are, you know, obviously they're, they're brewing issues all the time. Um, what are some of the challenges that we face with recruiting, uh, as a command as, as far as like, uh, what are things that we, we face as a nation uh, recruitment wise at picking, picking, uh, young men and women from that pool of 30%. What's, what's the biggest challenge there? I think the biggest thing is simply knowledge, right? 50% of America's youth, have no idea what options are out there, right? So I think the biggest thing for the biggest challenge, or two two challenges. One is we got a great economy, right, which is a good problem for the nation to have. Uh, but we also need to educate our youth about these options. I mean, example, you have a you have a kid going through medical school right now. The army can pick up the tab for two hundred fifty thousand dollars to pay for medical school. Right, like most kids have no idea that we have nurses, doctors, surgeons, truck drivers. There's 150 jobs out there that easily transfer into a civilian career afterwards. Average average American uh, veteran with a bachelor's degree is making seventeen thousand dollars more a year than a non-veteran counterpart with with an equivalent degree. Thirty thousand more a year as a veteran with a with a postgraduate with a master's degree or above. Uh, than a non-veteran counterpart, there's so many opportunities. You know, veterans are more apt to to vote. They're more they're more active in their communities. Um, one of the programs the Army has is is you know for for the business owners out there uh, is a program called PAYS Partnership for Youth Success. I think that's a brilliant partnership the Army's made with our communities. Right, so it's it's win win win. The basically the premise is that the Army signs a memorandum of agreement with a local business. The local business simply promises to offer a job interview at the end of a young man or woman's service to his to his or her country. Everybody wins in that scenario, right? The 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 community entrusts their top talent, their their the best youth they have in the community to to the army. We train them in leadership, transferable skills that are easily you know picked up and and appreciated and valued in the in the civilian market. And then we reinvest that youth right back in the communities where they came from. Businesses, you know, local businesses get 
uh, train educated leaders, not just managers, but leaders. Um, so the businesses win, the communities win, the individual man or woman wins. I, I think it's brilliant. So, uh, you know, anybody, anybody interested in that can go to goarmy.com, look up pays P A Y S. But there's so many opportunities out there that, I mean, you heard me, I, I didn't come from a military background. I had no idea these opportunities existed. And you can start with a simple Google search, goarmy.com and just kind of to look, see what's out there. Yes, sir. Back to that pays thing, <clears throat> you know, 50% of our youth uh, know little or nothing about the uh, service. And uh, most of the time when they come in and see us, it's those kids that are looking at it as a last resort. You know, we're looking for those guys that want to advance their future, not use it as a last resort. There's not too many organizations that'll take someone that's physically, mentally, and morally qualified. And we're going to give you a, a, a skill set, right? We have 150 different skill sets, and we're going to give you, we're going to put you in training, a training path to achieve one of those skill sets. Like Colonel Morley said, we're going to sign you up for this Partnership for Youth and Success program, and there's Fortune 500 companies in your local area. So we're going to give you a guaranteed job interview, and then we're also going to give you the post-9-11 GI Bill as well as tuition assistance. So there's going to be in excess of $150,000 in educational credentials, all because you can meet height, weight, medical, and moral requirements to join the Army. Uh, there's, there's not too many organizations that one can afford to do that, and there's not too many organizations that can really train you for free, pay you while we're training you. Yeah, I just went to a uh, capital investor meet in Phoenix, um, and it was, it's a program that's affiliated with, you know, large capital investors and venture capitalists that want to invest into their veteran business owners, and a lot of people, you know, don't realize that, you know, I just talking, I just did a podcast with Evan Hafer, who's a buddy of mine, a former Special Forces guy that owns Black Raffle Coffee, and we were talking about how the military set us up for success. Even, even with the things that people don't even, you know, think, you know, they, they typically look at a special operations guy and go, they taught you how to shoot, move and communicate. You can carry heavy things. Yeah, absolutely. And all day long. Um, but more importantly, I think than shoot, move and communicate is the ability to plan. And whether it's the military decision-making process, five paragraph op order, all these methods and planning and all this procedure and structure allows you to take any plan of action and execute it and complete a mission um, with with by knowing and understanding how to capture that information, how to analyze that information, and then how to formulate a plan that's going to be successful. And that that's, you know, when, when I life coach or when I talk to people who are wanting to go in the military or, or civilians who want to be better, those are all the basic stepping stones to being successful in life in general is, is, is the planning methodology in which you do it. And so, you know, small, it started with us in special operations and small unit tactics, but it translates very well to corporate or uh, entrepreneurship. And so, you know, when I joined the military at 17 as an E1, I had no clue. And then obviously I grew, I was a little seed and was nothing and then grew into a, a tree and developed an understanding through operational uh, experience uh, about my world, the world around me. And, you know, as an advocate for obviously for veterans, but I, I get more questions from kids who are asking me like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about joining the military, but I'm not really sure if that's something I should do. And then I typically say, hey, well, is that what you want to do? And most of them say, yes, that's what I want to do. And they go, well, there's no other, there's nothing else to analyze. Don't burden yourself. Just do it. And then they, they, they text me the next day and they're like, I just joined the military. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that worked. But it's like a lot of people want to be steered in that direction, but because kind of like a societal issue that we were talking about before um, off the podcast, there's kind of a broader issue here. And I think 
when we look at our society and, and you know, there's the breakdown of the family unit, the breakdown of our communities, poverty, a whole bunch of things that we're seeing affect our arms, uh, our armed forces and our, our current status. What, what are some of the challenges that we see in a local community like Prescott, for example, where we're trying to get, um, you know, our fingers on the pulse and understand what's happening? What are we seeing? You know, Matt, you, you, you obviously uh, operate in this, in this uh, world and at the tactical level here in Prescott. What are you seeing? What, what's the big breakdown here? A lot of the, a lot of the problems that we get out here is that there are over two dozen rehab facilities just in this area. So a lot that we come in, uh, I know First Sergeant Zilla was talking earlier about that last resort. We do get a lot of last resort people that come in, applicants. Uh, and, and you brought up your life coaching too, which you stood up recently, yeah? Mm-hmm. What is, and I, know, I know you have guys who signed up. What was, I guess, on your side, what, what do you get asked the most I don't, for life coaching? I, I don't know what to do, and I just need somebody to tell me what to do. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same on our side. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they come in without a vision, and they need someone to tell them. The issue that we run into is the ones, when we tell them what to do, they still wait. They still wait for their parents' approval. Mm-hmm. Even I had a 20-year-old a couple weeks ago. He come in and he asked, uh, he, he wanted to join, and he joined. He got 86 on the ASVAB. Which is high. He, high. It's very high. Yeah, high. Very, very high. National average is like a 42, right, 44. So it, very well. He said he had to go talk to mom. I was like, well, you know, you're an adult now, right? So when we were teenagers, we, we run through a phase where we hit the terrible teenage phase where you push from, and this is just the psychology side of it. We, we go from waiting for our parents' acceptance and we start learning what trust is to try and start looking into our social group. You start looking for acceptance from your friends. Then you learn in, in that process, you learn how to be an adult and who to, who to trust, how to trust. A lot of what this societal shift is, is a lot of these kids are so reliant on parents still. When they come into the office, they, even though they're old enough to join, they're qualified to join, they still have to ask mom and dad at 20 and 21 years old, can I join the army? Can I join the military? So, and, and, and I, I, don't, I don't get too abrasive with them with it, but when, when I bring it up, I say, hey, what are your passions about? What do you like to do? Hiking, hunting, fishing, bodybuilding, CrossFit. What is it? A lot of them say, I don't know. They say, well, I don't know. It's like, well, what do you like to do? Well, they sit behind digital screens. They, they, they like gaming. So they say, well, I have Facebook friends. So well, how many real friends do you have? Well, I've got 574 Facebook friends. It's like, well, those aren't real friends. <laughs> what do you, mean, not what do you friends, mean, Mike? Matt? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I have 970 friends. So, they're all my they're, friends. They're all friends. Yeah. So uh, they like my photos. <laughs> so, so, so they lack a decision making process. Like the, yeah. they, they don't hit that and they don't know, understand what trust is. And, and, and it's very challenging for them to get outside uh, away from the house to make a decision as an adult because they haven't been taught those things early on that how do you change a tire? How do you balance a checkbook? Okay, you have online banking that does it for you. Got it. But there's still principles that just aren't being absorbed by the youth these days. Yeah. So when they come in and, and it's, you bring life coaching, like us, like my recruiters and myself, we become life coaches to these kids. Find something that makes you tick. Whatever it is, I don't care if it's gaming, be the best gamer out there. 
if, you, if, if you're into bodybuilding, be the best bodybuilder out there. You're not going to take first place every time you do something. They expect first place. Like, look, man, you have to fail so many damn times yep. before you will succeed. Mm-hmm. They aren't used to failing. They're not being pushed to the brink of, of, of the failure. So when they, don't, when they don't hit that failure phase, they don't hit that learning phase to push past that threshold and see what they're actually made of. So you ask the challenges. The challenges are it is it, societal shift. A, a lot of parents just aren't pushing the kids to actually become real adults. So that's where my recruiters and myself step in and we start pushing in the right direction. Now, just like on the line, you always have a, a, a leadership challenge. In a squad of eight or nine, you'll have one that's going to take a little extra time. That's very challenging on the recruiting side to take a challenge on, 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 a, on a kid that you have one interaction a week, maybe once every 30 days. It's just like on deployment, you do KLEs. You walk into a village, you might have a KLE and you have an investment on that village while you're there, but the, but the enemy has every other day that month to invest inside that, that community, and they have more fear of them than they do us. So the challenge is, is trying to find bridge gaps between the civilians and the military. How, how can you pursue what the hell you want in life and succeed in it? And for those who don't speak acronym, key leader engagement, key leader engagement. is what I KLE stands KLE? for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, what 18-year-old kid knows exactly what he or she wants to do with his, with, with his or her life? Yeah. I sure as hell didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Right? Yeah. I mean, I went it, to college because my mom I was graduating was college and I wasn't even sure if the major I picked was the right one. I mean, and I, and I think that's the, that's one of the, the strengths of the military is in that lull of time. And I, you know, this is me because I answer, this is my opinion on it because I answer 50 questions a day on it. But, you know, if you're, if you're a guy or gal and you, you don't know what you want to do, it's a great opportunity to be in the military to kind of figure out what you want to do. I mean, I, down the street is Embry-Riddle. Um, right next to Embry-Riddle is all the flight schools. And I actually, at one point, wanted to go to uh, – I did ground school, which is the, the academic portion of flight school, and, and didn't even realize that the GI Bill, outside of the basic pilot's license, pays for all the advanced qualifications, uh, instrument ratings, and advanced quals in flight school. So you literally can get hundreds of thousands of dollars of opportunity where – you know, somebody else down the road has to do it, has to get their flight time and has to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars that they start their career in debt. And you could start it off on the right foot where it's all for free. And I think about like my 17, you know, I was a 20 year old airborne ranger qualified team leader in the infantry and I was 20 years old. And I, I, I think about uh, my position in my life. If I didn't go in the military, I would be working probably at a grocery store, probably at a car dealership, working on, you know, tuning on cars and not really figuring out what I want to do. But the military affords you that opportunity to kind of figure it out, but offer you the, offer you the security as well. And I don't want it to sound like a salesman, but, it, you know, when I look at my career in special operations and, you know, even government contracting, everything that I have now moving forward was because of the military. And then, you know, it, people think, oh, you know, I'm 25 years old. Is it too late? It's like no man, it's it's not too late. It you you've only just begun, you know. When I was a child, looking at my dad who was my age, thirty seven, thirty eight, thirty nine, I thought he was old. And now I look at myself at that position. I'm like, man, I I don't even know what the beginning of the end of work feels like. I mean, if I if I stayed on active duty, I'd be retired right now, and I can't imagine being retired right now. 
I mean, you guys are a couple years of be, from being retired, and it's like a whole another life. I'll be 30, that 39 you years old when I retire. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just like you have a whole other life. Um, and so people people don't realize that, and there's such in a rush, you know, with like you said, Matt, with the technology and everything else, is people are such in a rush to get stuff knocked out and don't realize that, hey, maybe some tactical patience, maybe experience life. Uh, I joined the Army partly because I was going to travel all over the world you know, and I did. I mean, besides Iraq, Afghanistan, the war zones, going to Africa, going to Spain, going to Germany, all these cool places, it was all in the Army's dime, all in the government's dime. And those are little things that we forget and we neglect. I mean, you were talking about, you know, your travels. Um, the first time was talking about how he was bouncing around every couple of years. I did that. I thought I had career ADHD, but it was a great experience because I was able to see different things I all so many the time. PCS awards is not even funny. I just I know, I know. nowhere's home but Pennsylvania, so I stayed there more than twenty four months. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And 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 one thing that I've uh, noticed, Matt, and we we had talked about it before, is that um, this area tracks a lot of combat arms, and I'm, I'm interested to hear you guys as take on that because I'm partial. We're obviously partial to combat arms because that's what we did. Um, why is that? And, and why is a, why is this place known for being combat arms? And, and number one, describe what combat arms is in the military. Uh, combat arms is, well, infantry, SF, special forces, rangers, uh, anyone who's out on, on the front line. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so to, to break it down. Army, art- uh, armor, uh, artillery, aviation, the combat attack medics. Assets. Right. Yeah. Um, I would say like you, you first start with state laws. Like look at Arizona's gun laws. Like you know they're they're very relaxed out here. So the, the, growing up hunting, they you know kids grew up around guns. They grew up around guns. Now maybe maybe not so much as far as the the suburban area uh, or even the metropolitan area, so like Phoenix area. But I know up here, it's a huge hunting community, huge hunting, uh, mountain biking and hiking. So at being out like that. Uh, the society and the culture up in this area is great for combat arms. And, and, and most that come in actually want to go SF and Rangers. Uh, a lot don't qualify because of a medical, because of a medical waiver and they can't get a airborne. You can't get airborne. You can't get airborne or Ranger or uh, Ranger or SF. Um, so it has a lot to do with the area. When, when I came out here from Kansas, uh, we didn't have a lot that were looking for combat arms. I was in Topeka, Kansas for two years and we didn't have as many combat arms, like guys who wanted combat arms that, that we do out here. So I, th- I think it has a lot to do with the area and how the kid was raised, what they were raised doing. You know, um, when I joined, I wanted to be a sniper. I wanted to be in, in infantry. And I, I grew up in a, in a small, t- small town in Iowa, like I said before. I grew up hunting. I had a Huffy, I had a Huffy bike and a twenty two rifle, running around the woods, and that was, that was my life. That was it. So when I joined, that's what I wanted to do because I, I was just in that culture. I grew up around it. So... This area here is great for combat arms, and that, that kind of brings me, I was going to talk to you a, a bit about your SOPC course coming up. I have a lot of guys interested in it, so I think that up here is going it, to, well, first off, for the community, it's going to be awesome. Um, and then and later on, offline, I'll talk to you about little things as far as uh, support goes Awesome with that. Um, but it, it comes down to, to area. Local demographic. It huh? does, yep. And, uh, sir, I know... Um People don't know it, but and I don't even know it, and I'm actually interested in it, is there's more technical jobs that are available than when me and you joined the military. And and there's a whole bunch of things that um, are happening now in our 
technologically advanced world, cybersecurity is one of those things. I mean, uh, I know uh, in Virginia, they in Maryland, they stood up a couple uh, cybersecurity units that do you know all kinds of cyber stuff. Is there actually MOSs now that are that are that technical uh, that do cybersecurity? Is that is that even a thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Army stood up a Futures Command, uh, Cyber Command. Uh, these are big, you know, general officer level headquarters uh, to look at this problem set because it it's new and you know the Army's adapting. I mean, even to the point where we're recruiting against that now. You know, uh, Sergeant First Class Vincent talked about the kids are in front of screens, and so uh, Army recruiting is going the way of looking at esports tournaments, you know, electronic sports tournaments and functional fitness teams uh, because we're a reflection of not only society, but also the force is adapting towards those, you know, global trends, more technological, um, more cyber focused, everything you just talked about. And, and we're adapting the military as a whole department of defense is adapting towards those, those problem sets. Yeah. People, a lot of people don't realize the amount of jobs and you said 150, there's like every job that you could think of, you could enlist in the military to do, um, outside of, uh, enlisting in the military, meaning, you know, you're enlisting to be a private, private first class specialist and working your way up through the ranks. What, what are some ways that somebody could enlist with a college degree? Are there still, you know, OCS opportunities, officer candidate school opportunities? Like, how does how does that work now? Yeah, I, we just did a board yesterday for three officer candidate school candidates, uh, graduated from college, four-year degrees, top-notch students and, and athletes. We, we did a board, essentially a, an interview panel, um, interviewed them. They all made it. Took them down to the the military entry processing station, the MEPS. Gave them the oath of enlistment, and they're going to be you know after a short stint uh, going through the the basic training pipeline in the officer candidate school, they're going to pop out as second lieutenants in the United States Army. You that's, know? All, that's awesome. Do they get the? Is there a way to ch- for them to choose their branch, or they do they compete for at OCS? Is that how it works? They'll compete. Yeah, they yeah. compete. You know, same same as what we know in the Army, but what most of your listeners probably don't know. Everything in the Army is done by order of merit. The best thing about the army, I think, is that it's a hundred percent a meritocracy. Yeah, you have to earn everything that you get, right? And I, I, there's a lot of policy and politics, I think, out of the military that play into that in the, in the civilian market. But the, what, what I love about the army is that you you earn everything you get, right? So if you work hard enough, chances are you're going to get exactly what you want. Um, and so Officer Candidate School, Reserve Officer Training Corps, the ROTC programs, uh, United States Military Academy at West Point, all of those different uh, commissioning mechanisms are all merit-based. Hey, if you earn it, you can do what you want. I love it. That's awesome. First of all, what is the, uh, the uh, on enlistment? Oh, you want to admit yeah, something? Yeah, can we, can we go back to the uh, the technological jobs? Talk yeah, about? yeah, yeah. So we were talking about the, um, the, the computer technology field, right? So there's offensive and defensive Right, for lack of a better term, hacking. Yeah. And uh, we call it it's 17 Charlie. So for all you techies out there, there's a couple army ads on TV and on a lot of our adventure trailers, you'll see a, a computer a computer ad. In that ad, there's a computer code. If you can figure out the code, it'll take you to an application for the program. Really? Yeah. That's pretty, pretty cool. Legit. Yeah. So oh, that's some PR. All those computer guys there. out there, go ahead and see if you can find yourself an application. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So they, they, there's, there's jobs where you can code, where you can yeah. do... Well, so we're getting into... 
it used to all be defensive, right? Everything that yeah. we did was for defending hacking. Now Cyber it's, defense, it's offensive, yeah. right? So nice. we're using it in our favor. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you know, when you look at uh, the myriad of jobs, uh, when you when you serve, what's the minimum enlistment that you could serve in the military? So we have. Uh, we call them options and benefits and programs. So option three is uh, training of choice, which you pick out of the 150. We have this program called Future Soldier Remote Reservation System. We're the only branch that can do that. Basically, we could sit you down in your living room and show you every job that's available to you that has training seats. So we sit in your living room, show you, hey, we have 11X, which is infantry. Hey, we have 17 Charlie Cyrops. We have 35 Fox, which is military intelligence analyst. Which one of those three would you like to do? You can do that with your mom, your dad, your grandpa, whoever you want. As long as I got a computer connection, I can show it to you. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so we can do as small as two years, depending on the availability of it. Majority of the time, though, you want to do a minimum of three years because it takes 36 months to activate your post 9-11 GI Bill. If you don't have 36 ah, active duty months. four years when I was Right, in, so yeah. you could do the 24-month enlistment, but you're only going to get 75% of the post 9-11. So, yeah. so I never, I mean, it's my personal choice. My recommendation is never. Three years minimum. Yeah, and then we can go up to six. Some of our higher density skill sets, aviation, things like that, you go, if you do a special forces enlistment, 18X, which is a candidate, those are five-year enlistments because it costs the Army a lot of money to train you. Oh, yeah. And it's a longer training uh, pipeline as right. well. Yeah. So it, it's not so much the pipeline. It's how much it costs us to train you. So if it um, costs us a lot of money to train you, we're going to want to retain you. Yeah, it makes sense. What, so um, if somebody does a three-year enlistment, does their basic training, AIT, the advanced individual training, does that all count towards the three years? Yeah. Their time starts the day that they ship to MEPS. So they'll go to MEPS, the Military Engines Processing Station, twice. They'll go there and swear into the delayed entry program which will put them under our control, which now we can do PT with them, physical training. Uh, now we can actually do some hands-on coach counsel training, mentorship. Yep. And then they'll be in a delayed entry program. So we have quick ship bonuses now. So if they're in it for less than 14 days, they're eligible for up to $20,000 in bonuses. Yep. And uh, the second time they go, they'll swear in again. And that's what puts them on active duty. Their pay and benefits starts that day. Yep. So all the training time, it all counts towards. So, you know, just perspective-wise, when you get out of your training, let's just say you're in the infantry and you're basic AIT and it's 15 weeks, airborne school, additional three weeks, a week in between. I mean, you've already done months of your initial enlistment already. The time goes by so fast. I mean, when I went through all the pipeline and everything else, I was like, wow, it's it's time to re-enlist again. And, and the re-enlistment window still opens a year out? Roger, yeah, it's 12 months out. I think they backed it up to 15 right now. Yeah. Uh, goes back to growing the force. So we're giving wow. soldiers more of an opportunity to stay in, and we're also offering you know in, insane amounts of uh, reenlistment bonuses. Even for, I know most of your listeners might not know what in-def means, but that's really when you become a career soldier. After the 10-year mark, when you reenlist, it's usually for an indefinite period of time, and uh, soldiers are now getting bonuses for that. Typically before, it was just a unit get anything. And a coin, yeah. right? High I got five a ham a, sandwich. High five at a handshake. Right? That's it. That's so. That, that's really interesting because you know if you want to re-enlist, which gives you uh, a whole bunch of different opportunities to retain you in the military at a a year and a half in. Um, you know, you did six months of training. A year and a half in after that, you're already in your window to re-enlist to potentially look at different options. That's how quick it happens yes. in in the military. And you know, there's a whole bunch. I, I experience. At a as a younger enlisted guy, a whole bunch of um, of my peers who took different routes and opportunities. Like I started in the infantry and then went SF, but I had peers that went counterintelligence, that went military police officer, that became officers. The coolest thing I think is you know being a seventeen year old enlisting is you know two years in, I had a 
uh, you know, a myriad of options that I could have went a different routes. I could have went to co- I actually applied to West Point because um, I had a couple years of college, and then I was going to go uh, try to do that and get a congressional appointment or whatever. It never worked out, but. Th- then I was going to like become an Apache pilot. And then I'm like, I'll be a little bird pilot. And I had this weird like ADHD. Cause I, you know, I was in the military. If, if you don't, you aren't familiar with the military uh, and the Colonel um, talked about it a little bit, but you, you just show up and you do really well. you like, if you're just not a shit bag and you, and you do really well, <laughs> right. you're going to, you're going to have afforded opportunities that nobody else has. You're physically fit. That puts you in a category by yourself, just being fit because you're really judged on your level of fitness. And um, you know, transitioning wise, what what is the basic requirement for somebody who's going to come in the military off the streets? What do they have to be able to do to be able to be in that 30% bracket? Well, so there but let's start with the physical thing cuz it's fresh on our mind. There is no uh like physical fitness requirement as as far as doing an AP Army physical fitness test or some type of lifting, running or jumping to enlist. Now we have one for MOSs, which is the occupational physical assessment test, which That's is like a, Ranger and SF and right, everything. Well, right? I mean, every MOS has it now. So there's a heavy, moderate and light. And then we judge you based on how many, how many points essentially you can get in each event. It's a deadlift, a long jump, a shuttle run, and then a medicine ball toss. Whoa. whoa, whoa. Yeah. Did the PT test change for, yeah. So it used to be a physical fitness assessment, which is probably what you're used to the one, one, one. Yeah. yeah we, we went away from that. And now each MOS has got their own, the OPAT we call it OPAT requirement. So it's OPAT heavy for all your combat arms. Occupational physical assessment test. Okay. Physical assessment test. Yes. So give me an OPAT. What's, what's an OPAT test? So uh, we'll put you on a deadlift and uh, we'll start at just, just a hex (laughs) bar, right. And work our way up to 220 pounds. And then uh, if you do 220, that's that 165. Then you max. Yeah. 165. It's not, it's not overly taxing, right? We don't expect anybody to go right from the couch to the, you know, the Olympic, to be an Olympic athlete. Yeah. And then we have a standing long jump, uh-huh. uh, 568 meters or 620 meters will give you heavy. Uh-huh. And then we have a medicine ball toss and you have to throw that about 620 meters for heavy. And then there's a shuttle run, which simulates a two mile run uh, and it goes in levels. So if you get up to level seven with four laps, you know, that's, that's pretty much max. Yeah. The, the, uh, the shuttle run thing. So you just do a shuttle run, which is you run out yeah, twenty meters. Twenty meters yeah. down. About, it's on a beep system. So if you go on the uh, YouTube and YouTube the uh, Army beep test, and you can listen to the beep intervals. Yeah. That's, every time it beeps, you're going to turn around and, and run another shuttle, and you got to get to the end and cross the line, and turn around, and be ready to run by the time it beeps again. Oh wow! Okay, so I obviously have to add that to the soft prep course. Yeah, so I that, can't do the so, so that, but that doesn't come in until you're in a delayed entry program. So remember I said, you know, once you're in a delayed entry program, we run future soldier training once a week. So once a week we bring you in and we do some type of physical fitness training with you and then we'll do an academic test. Yeah. So it's a, academic training. So it's about two hours. We prep you for basic training. We prep you for physical fitness. And, uh, you know, if, if you have any kind of a pulse, you should be just fine. It's not, it's not too challenging. It's not too difficult. No. I'll put a play if I if I may. I mean, just because I was one of these kids, right? So, I'll, if you're an athlete, if you're a high school athlete, if you're a college athlete, statistically speaking, the majority aren't going to the next level. Yeah, the majority of high school athletes yep. are not going to get a full college ride. Yeah, the majority of college athletes are not going to get a pro scholar, you know, a, a pro contract yep. in whatever sport or go to the Olympics. Right. Me personally, from my own personal experience. Everything that I missed about team sports, I found in the Army. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's everything about what we do day in and day out is team oriented. And yep. I mean, I'll argue that life is a team sport. Yeah. If you agree. can't get along with people and can't get along in a team oriented environment, it, it could be tough. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that that's something that I, I, I would at least consider if you're an athlete or if your son or daughter's an athlete, come take a look. Yeah. And yeah. it's the ultimate expression of it because you, I mean, it's not like you're playing a game. You're actually, you know, if you're leading and you have all these, uh, characteristics, which a lot of athletes do, you know, that, that are physically fit. They're they're typically go getters. They're typically have the discipline, and then you implement that into a military career. You're already setting yourself up for success. But the measure is real. I mean, you're not playing a game. You're going out and doing it for real. And one of the uh, you know, when I look at accomplishments and and you know tangible takeaways that the military gave me, it was expressing that in a real world environment where. You test yourself as a human being. I mean, you come out of it, you know, men, women uh, come out of it and they go, wow, I, I really do have what it takes. I really have what it takes. And then they come out with a a different perception and a, a higher self-esteem, which sets you up for success and transitioning uh, out of the military and being successful. And so that, that that's my next question. And we'll start off with you, sir. When you think about your military career, because you're, you're 18 years in now, and I, I don't know... Uh, if you intend to take it beyond 20, which if, if you guys don't know, 20 years is the minimum requirement for retirement um, in the military. Uh, one, are you going to stand beyond 20? And then two, have you thought about what you want to do beyond the military? Those decisions are happening in real time in, in my house, right? Um, we, we have to evaluate all the options, but you know, you just said it. I mean, you're essentially making... At 20 years, so if you enlist at 18, by the time you're 38 years old, you've got a full pension. You've got paid medical, paid dental, right? Where else can you find that, right? I mean, most people are. are I think a lot of America is still trying to figure out what they want to what they want to do with their lives, how they're going to shape themselves at, at 38, and here you are. You can do that. I mean, you're example A. Right. I mean, you get out of the, you get out of the military and you you're young enough to have a completely new chapter and you've got the cushion financially to be stable that you can take a little risk. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear about your story. I like that deflection. I, I like that special forces tactic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for for me, when I when I got out of the military, I actually got out as a master sergeant and an E8 because I did my team start time. And for me, at that point in my career, at uh, U.S. Army Special Forces Command. Um, for me to advance in the regiment, I had to become a staff guy. And there's nothing wrong with becoming a staff guy, but at that time, um, I was a 30-year-old E8. I mean, I, I was a young uh, master sergeant, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do that. So I, I transi- transitioned out of the military. And when I got my bachelor's degree, it was a defining moment because you know, when you get out of the military and you have a bachelor's degree, with the world experience that you have in the military, you could do whatever you want to do in life. Literally anything I wanted to do. And I had looked at FBI HRT, and I was having guys from from that unit trying to push me to go there. I, I was looking at the CIA because I had buddies from the CIA that were trying to uh, make me become a paramilitary operations officer. I was like, dude, my, I could do whatever I want to do. And so I started contracting and then part-timing it. And you know, 
what people another portion of this conversation is the reserves slash national guard component which is an awesome um it's almost like a secret club at what i realized because <laughs> I, I had a whole bunch of peers that were in 19th special forces group that were police officers but they were part-time green berets kind of when they wanted to be which is a huge awesome advantage in life when you're kind of tired of your nine to five and just go, you know what? I want a deployment and Hey, can you send me on a deployment? Yeah. There's a, here's a deployment. Go be a green beret for six months. And so it was a, a cool opportunity to, to kind of play both sides as a contractor. And then as a, um, as a military guy. And then I realized, you know, maybe I want to do something completely different and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And when I see somebody who's served their country with the amount of, qualifications and experience and just takeaways they get, they make the best entrepreneurs. Like, and I would encourage anybody who has served in the military, or even if want, if you want to be an entrepreneur, maybe look at the path as the military potentially being part of that plan. Because, you know, if you want to be a politician, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you just want to be advanced in life, the military is going to set you up for success because it kind of validates everything about you. Um, in the sense that you serve your country, but you also have this world experience that is relevant in every single thing you do. What, whether you want to be a manager at Chick Fil A or you want to be, you know, working for the CIA, it's all relevant. And so, an entrepreneur is what I decided to do. Obviously, with Phil Craft Survival, hence this podcast and everything else we, that we have going on. But it 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 brings me the same sense of purpose that I had on a different scale. It's not scalable. Uh, it's not comparable. But it's there's a different version of life that's fulfilling as an entrepreneur, just as it was as a Green Beret in the military. So, um, anyways, enough about me. Let's talk about First Sergeant. Which you're 15 years in, um, and that five years is going to go by super fast. What are you looking at on the horizon for transitioning? It's a great question. Um, I've given it lots of thought, and you know, I've lived every enlistment like it was going to be my last, and. Uh, my first time I re-enlisted, it was about a week and a half before my uh, contract expired. And I was in a good unit. I had a great platoon sergeant, and uh, I re-enlisted for the team. And then my next re-enlistment, about a month out. So I, I like to leave myself, like you said, leave myself options. I mean, I've, by doing that, you go back to the planning phase. I was able to re-enlist for a bonus four times. And every time that bonus was north of $20,000. So it, it increased my earning, my buying power. It increased the amount of value in my contract. And uh, coming up, you know, I made Master Sergeant fairly young in the Army. I have a great opportunity to become a Command Sergeant Major or Sergeant Major. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when it comes. I still have five more years to get to that point. I'm re-enlisted indefinitely, so the Army can keep me up to 27 years right now. So Awesome. I haven't really settled on a decision yet. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, the, the greatest thing about uh, anybody's story in the military is you have – the world, there is no limit to your options. You have so many options, it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, I was talking recently with some friends and we were talking about career decisions. And, you know, as a contractor, I could be making $1,000 a day, you know, working sick, which is what I did before I owned a company where I make no money. Um, but I, I was a contractor and I was making $1,000 a day, not because um, Mike Glover is awesome, it's because my resume was awesome. And so they were paying me for my resume. And I was working 1,000 a day, 60-day deployments, 60 days on, 60 days off. Six months a year, I made over $150,000 a year. 
And it was the easiest job I've ever had in the planet. And the only reason I had that opportunity is because of my military experience. And so it's like when you get out of the military after you've served, everybody wants to hire you. Everybody wants um, to be part of, of, they want you to be part of their organization because it's beneficial. When I hire guys, I've hired uh, three employees in the last 60 days. The first thing I ask them is, did they serve their country? Not because I'm biased to somebody who hasn't served their country, because I know right off the bat they have these skill sets to be disciplined, to show up on time, and they've proven themselves and validated themselves in that three to four year enlistment, which I, you know, I hired two grunts from the Marine Corps, uh, which is a whole new uh, entertainment level uh, here at Philcraft Survival. But they're just really yeah. good workers. They're really good guys, and and they're patriots. Um, Dependable. Yeah, super dependable. I mean, and you know, if, if crap hit the fan, I know that the guys in the back of the shop um, at Philcraft Survival have my back anytime, and they know the same exact thing uh, from me exists. And so there's this cohesion that exists that I, I think a lot of people are looking for. Um, you know, kind of wrapping everything up, and I know we had uh, talked about it a little bit, sir. You you had some in, um, some advice and some takeaways. What would be some advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about the military, who's thinking about the U.S. Army, but you know just hasn't you know they haven't got the information. They they're just intimidated by the military, or maybe even a parent who might be listening to this, whose son or daughter might want to join. You got any advice for them? Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, uh, do Google search goarmy.com. See what's out there. I think our, our what the Army's in the business of doing is developing our nation's youth to make our country better. That's really, I mean, we're, we're here to fight and win our nation's wars, but we're also here to develop the next generation, right? So as a, for parents out there, just do the math, right? If you are, if you have a son or daughter who's looking at college, look at what the Army can pay for. To me, coming into this job, it's been astounding all the options out there. Because even in uniform, I didn't know what, what you know what was what was in the realm of possible these days. Uh, whether it's you know doing doing just one contract as initial enlistment uh, and get, using the post nine eleven GI Bill, boom, college paid for. If you have kids, you can transfer that to your kids, right? So, uh, and the army's like I said before, the army's spending three hundred twenty million dollars a year educating our youth. So if you are in a position where you might be coming out of pocket for college, go on the website, plug in your zip code, go talk to a recruiter just to educate yourself, whether you make the decision or not. But come in and, and explore all your options so you know with eyes wide open, you know what's on the table and what's in the realm of possible. Because, again, 50% of America's families don't do that math and they don't know. And I'd encourage everyone just to just to come take a look. Do do the math, do the research. I think you'd be surprised. Awesome. First Sergeant, what you got? Uh, you know, we change entire family generations. Uh, if, if you want to do something with your life and if you want to make the most of it and, and see, like we talked about earlier about risk management and about planning, you know, having that, that on your resume, that military background on your resume, as long as, as well as the education, you know, it allows you to take more risk going forward. And you, you get to do it in an isolated environment. You get to make mistakes in the Army. You get to make mistakes in the military. You're always going to have that paycheck. You're always going to have health care. You're always going to have, you know, educational benefits. But come here, take the risk, 
and don't use it for a last. This isn't a last option. This should be at the the forefront, you know, of the topic of discussion with your guidance counselor, with your mom and dad, with your girlfriend, with your wife. You know, it's a different organization than it was 20 years ago. This isn't Rambo on TV. This isn't Platoon on TV. We're technologically, Stripes. yeah, we're we're technologically <laughs> advanced. You know, everything Mash. is about everything is about training and getting better. You know, like it, we're sending the best qualified human beings back out to society. I like that, Matt. What do you got? I mean, Sergeant First Class Vincent. Hey, good to meet you, Mike. <laughs> uh, I'll say first off, go to goarmy.com. Check it out. Check your options out. The second, I'll challenge you. I'll challenge. I'm going to give you two phone numbers. Call one of these numbers and and convince me why you shouldn't join the army. And then I, then I'll work my best to convince you as to why you should. I bet I win. So first number to my office number, area code 928-443-8958. My cell, area code 602-339-2701. Call me and challenge me as to why you shouldn't join. And you, you better be a good briefer. You better, you, you better brief really well. Yeah, it's too good. There's too many opportunities there. I mean, to be 17 again, to look back and go, let's just start this over is, a, is an opportunity because I, I just montage all the memories I have from the military, and they're my best memories. It's yeah, like, oh, absolutely. if you have, it's not just if you have nothing going on. Like First Sergeant said, it, it should be a deliberate plan injected into a life plan of success. I mean, it, it, the reality is whether you're, you know, like the, the colonel said, if you're p- trying to play for school, if on the back end you want to use the uh, post-911 GI Bill, th- there's too much opportunity there to ignore the fact that the military, sp- specifically the Army, is a good option. I mean, as a parent, I, got, I, mean, I have an 8-year-old and a 6-year-old. They both speak three languages fluently, and it's because of the opportunities that the Army's given me. That's awesome. In my family, we're talking about, you know, replanting family trees. We do it every day. Awesome. Well, that's a good way to end it. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for coming in the studio, and thank you for your service to our, our country. Thank you. Thanks, thank Mike. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Cool.